Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to today's Indie Football Podcast. I am your temporary host for the day, Jack Pitbrook, joined by my boss, sports editor Ed Malian. Hello, Ed. Hello, how are you doing? And chief football writer Miguel Delaney. Hello, Morning. Miguel. Hello. Well, by the time people listen to this, it will be later. It certainly will be. Um, well, no, but by definition, it will be later. Let's call it process, Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to look back on yesterday, which was the final day of the Premier League season and the Premier League season as a whole. And look forward to Saturday afternoon's FA Cup final. Um, well, not too much, probably. FA Cup final. No, I mean I don't think there's that much kind of optimism or excitement about the FA Cup final this year. So it's, it's so kind of squeezed between the like the Premier League, which is obviously yeah. the, the biggest show in town, and the Champions League final and the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I barely think and I've heard anyone talk about the, the Cup the, final. The Conte situation kind of gives it weird spin as well. I wonder a lot of people are kind of thinking, well, United will probably win this now, and does that mean much? What is it? It's squeezed between. Uh, and again, apologies for my my voice, which is dreadful. But the uh, it's squeezed between the biggest show in town, the mm. other biggest show in town, and then the biggest show which only comes to town every four years. Yeah. So it is really and the royal wedding. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, another, th- those are into that kind deal. of thing. I mean, it will. I mean, it will probably hit the the viewing figures, you'd guess. But like, um, yeah, it just feels like a tiny little pinprick of a game, basically. And the fact that. The two teams competing have both have had underwhelming, what I think, is it fair to say underwhelming seasons? Both? Yeah, yeah. And also underwhelming seasons that won't get rescued by winning the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah, Preci- yeah. That's precisely yeah. the point. And there's no one going for like a greater, it's not part of a greater achievement, like a double, treble, quadruple. It's yeah, yeah. This, like, this doesn't even save their season, does it? For, yeah. any, for either of these teams. It's all, this is actually, and it's worth coming into, I suppose, this is one consequence of City's 100 points as well that it has created a little bit of a kind of uh, identity crisis for a lot of the teams underneath them, probably for everyone by Liverpool, because they're all kind of slightly worried or concerned about what exactly constitutes success against that. Because they're all teams who would define themselves by, like, winning the Premier League, Mm. because there's there's nothing else to do. The only teams that are different from that are Liverpool... Oh, sorry, Tottenham, who are chasing their Mm. first trophy, the Pochettino era, and haven't got it. Yeah. And Liverpool, who are going for the Champions League... And well, you know, they, they might win in the final, they might not. Yeah. But, but that, 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 United that, and Chelsea are kind of stuck, aren't they? Yeah, and, and Liverpool's Champions League run kind of, has kind of just made them immune to that just because of the nature of it. Um, and, and I suppose because it, it happens two weeks after the league season ended. But yeah, United and Chelsea, will, you know, will be kind of the two next, likely next challengers or likely next title winners after City have kind of, in terms of resources, I mean, not, not necessarily you, quality you teams. Think I mean, they're the teams that, uh, Should be challenging. I think we discussed. You discussed the other day. The expectation is hmm. for them is next season. For example, next season, Manchester City's ceiling is obviously probably quadruple. Mm-hmm. Manchester United and Chelsea go into next season. Whoever the new Chelsea manager might be, both believing that they can win the title and, and like that is their best case scenario. Mm. Um, you don't probably believe that with with Arsenal, no. Liverpool, possibly. Tottenham, hard to know. We assume Potters will, will still be there and all the players will still be there. So, like, there's a chance, but 
but it's just less of a less of an expectation there. Mm. Liverpool, I think, because of the fans getting like you know every off season, Liverpool fans I think famously get carried away a little bit, and the next yeah. year's our year. But they're on a little group below, whereas. Chelsea, I think, are still defined in that top group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, even though there's an argument now that well, things have to change for them to, to get back into it. Also, Liverpool, there's a proper excitement around every game, like just because the way they play and what's happening. In a way, there isn't really at United or Chelsea. Um, yeah. Uh, does that mean we have we done our FA Cup segment? No. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll come back to that later. But um. But that, but that is the great effect of this. Of yeah, this I mean, that, yeah. so we we were talking off air earlier, like what are going to be the big lessons of the season, or what this season will be remembered for. And like I've seen lots of people criticise this season as being an underwhelming one, but after yesterday afternoon, I think this season now has something which it will be remembered for forever. Yeah. Which is City getting a hundred points. Like, I think you can't... That's why there was these crazy celebrations when Jesus' goal went in, when Edison and company basically sprinted out of the bench all the way up into the fans. And Edison, and despite company not... pulled up with w- a pulled hat yeah. or something, presumably. And Ed- Edison, um, despite not playing a minute of the game, got booked because <laughs> City now have a signature achievement, yeah, yeah. which matters a lot. I mean... And, and it's, it's a lot better saying 100 points than it is, well, we have the points record. Like yeah, completely, completely. <laughs> like that. So I was thinking about this earlier. I think, I think City are now... City will be thought of in that bracket as the treble team and the Invincibles, simply because, like, the, because of the the branding power mm. of an easily memorable, unique achievement. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's why that's the difference between Chelsea getting ninety five and City getting a hundred. Or, yeah. or the marketing it, people must be delighted. Yeah, completely. Centurions. Yeah, Centurions. The, yeah, yeah. Like the Invincibles, more than anything else. I mean, obviously, the Invincibles is a great achievement and a very good team, but more than anything else, it's a triumph of branding, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it, it's such it's such an easy, it's such a unique and easily understandable thing to have done, yeah. and that lends itself to this kind of nickname. And now everybody knows what the Invincibles are in a way that the two thousand four five Chelsea team, arguably a better team, yeah, they haven't passed into history in the same way, yeah. That's true, yeah. And yeah. That, and, that's, and that, I think, is the power of yesterday, as well as 106 goals, 32 wins, 50 points home and 50 points away, and all, all the other stuff you can tack mm. onto the City team. But I think they yesterday was kind of the day where they assumed their place in history. Yeah. That said, if, if the name Centurions... <laughs> is attached to the City team, then I withdraw everything I've written about City this season uh, because that's unbelievably tacky. It's going to happen. Even some company already tweeted it. It's likely, right? And then maybe like the I, it becomes a one and then you put two O's in there. So you get, you see, and then like just paint that bit in gold. I can see the the marketing department delight with that. Next week, I'll have my Centurions (laughs) t-shirt. What what minute was the goal? You were there. I think it was like 93. I mean, I'd, I'd already written out my I'd already written my report, which was like something like um, the problem with this game is that both teams had already achieved everything they wanted for the season. Mm. City had City won yeah. the league, Southampton stayed up, and so they had nothing to play for and played out an insipid nil-nil draw. Mm. Uh, at which it was at no point was it likely either team would score. Wesley Hurt hit the bar with the header in the first half, and then nothing happened in the second half. <laughs> uh, and I kind of had it all ready to go, and then because the, the goal came completely out of nowhere, like City had quite a good spell early in the second mm. half when they put Jesus on but the I mean but the goal was completely out of nowhere like it started with a I, I, I kind of thought about tweeting this but didn't but it started with De Bruyne hitting a long ball from deep inside his own half Jesus kind of ran in behind brilliant first touch then second touch put it in and the first thing that came to my head was Dennis Bergkamp against Argentina right okay yeah. but I thought that I mean cause basically because of it doesn't look exactly the same but it's a combination of like the long ball out of yeah. nowhere and the brilliant first touch and then the finish um 
But I didn't tweet that because I thought I might get accused of bias. Uh, it's, just, it's not worth it. But <coughs> sorry, do you not think also that this will be? Uh, I, I think the way they finished it yesterday is important. Um, obviously, a late goal like that is it's always better. It's always better mm-hmm. because it's the final chance and and, and all the pent up frustration of oh no we've fallen just short and then that flips on its head in a moment yeah. which is, is it's special. I think um, for Pep Guardiola, I think winning for someone who prioritizes the process over the results so much and, and is a big process guy, you know, he's about making this football entirely dominant and and being better, thoroughly better than everyone else because he believes in a philosophy. Like he's a, a kind of really very, very deep in his own mind, uh, kind of a philosopher as, uh, and someone who believes strongly in what they're doing. I think winning a league to him is, is incredibly satisfying. Obviously, he wants to win the mm. Champions League because it's the top prize. But for him, like winning the league pro- is proof of dominance. And, and his team is trying to assert dominance and have successfully asserted dominance over most of the league this year. And I just think to a mindset like that, it must be so frustrating then that one, a single game and something mm. gone wrong. And so, like, so, so that must be the massive frustration in the Champions League for him. But it's good but because it, it does give him that this season there is a sense of achievement and next year there's, there's still more again, to yeah. go. There's still more to go. And I think the other thing that they successfully did Manchester City was... It did feel after the uh, the Liverpool Champions League tie that the whole season, like not, you know, it wasn't a disappointment necessarily, but there was a feeling that oh no, this is kind of yeah, we have surprisingly to... fallen off the rails a little, mm. and, and obviously they had the league sewn up pretty much from what, January, February, but December. I'd the, say. the fact yeah. that they when they won at Old Trafford, they've yeah. managed to rally this round and, and take what could have been kind of a, a maybe a slightly disappointing season. Into they've turned that into what is a historic achievement, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that just going into next season, the, the momentum that comes with that is really important. I think psychologically, it's great for the players to be able to go away. Imagine if they hadn't got that late goal. You know, ha- those players go off on holiday in a very different mindset. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, Miguel, they, they, well, they, they, they should be in the Champions League final, really. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a farce that they're not really. Yeah. I mean, they are the best. They're no, obviously the best team it. in the world. They blew it. It's fine. Yeah. But they'll get another chance, um, and, and possibly another chance after that with Pep. Um, what, it, Miguel, what's your big big take home from this season? Or big, well, big I, as I've written in my review, that's got probably will be up before this podcasting in the next few minutes. Independent.co.uk um, yeah. slash football. Yeah. Um, it is kind of fitting, and not just for city, city season that they have such a an identifiable, the identifiable branding of a number like that, but also because this is kind of the peak effect of the most important number of all, which is the amount of money in the Premier League. This season feels like the culmination, probably, mm. like right through the division. I mean, as we were discussing before, it's kind of like this is what City are now is essentially any the owner of any football club that has kind of proper designs for football club. City are an, an idealised version of what they want. It's what Abramovich wanted, you know, a team playing great football and winning all. Um, then that's, I suppose that's had an effect on on the league itself because it, the, league, the league does feel kind of more economically stratified than any any yeah. time before. And creating this kind of hard top six and then this kind of weird fluid 10 to, 10 to 4, or bottom 10 to 14. Uh, and... Well, I think I think one of the big themes of the season, even now, or something that it should be remembered for, because I think this is getting very relevant. You know, the, the, we've discussed this on the pod before, but the Premier League sells itself in the sh- as this show, this great entertainment, and it successfully sold itself as that. But then the flip side is to stay in it. Most uh, a lot a lot of clubs get very quickly spooked and then have gone for these kind of safety first managers, and it's why we have this. I think in the end, it's, with that 
also appropriately signed off by the biggest managerial change of all, Arsene Wenger. But we've seen more managerial change this season than any other Premier League year. And I think precisely because of that, because because teams get spooked. And it's also created this bizarre situation where I think at various points this season, I was trying to count it last night, I think it's about seven or eight clubs that at one point were deeply unsatisfied with the manager they had and the football they were playing, creating more of this identity crisis. And I think that is a big thing when money is so... Do you think the, do you think the financial stratification makes it harder for teams to, or for fans and teams to be happy with what they've achieved yeah. or happy with what they've got because uh, like the, the reality of financial strat- stratification is that there's only like a very narrow band of places in the, in the table where you can finish exactly exactly and that means that you know that that kind of obviously creates dissatisfaction because yeah. it effectively creates a caste system and what what's really interesting about this is whenever you say this people always say yeah but two years ago Leicester City won the Premier League which of course they did and I, I think this is in a sense that's kind of like that that Did, fact serves as an argument against the reality, which yeah, is yeah. that it's it's stratified. And I I think the the reason that you can make this point is that like something which something like a million to one shot that happens is still a million to one yeah, shot. Yeah. Like I know that Leicester obviously Leicester won the league, but it wasn't inevitable they were going to win the yeah. league. They won the league because like a million different things coincided in the right in the right <laughs> way. Le- Le- Lester, not, least Lester, the, spe- not least all the big all the big six were rubbish that year. Yeah, and they kind of found a way to do it, but. That like it's not it's incredibly unlikely to happen again. Yeah, exactly. That, that's we, why it's so special. Yeah, yeah, and we shouldn't think that just because Leicester won the league, that means that the Premier League is this like really healthy competition which everyone has an mm. equal shot at winning, and it's like anything can happen. Yeah, it's but like, I, yeah, I, of course anything can happen. But most things are really unlikely to happen. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like a very narrow pr- parameter of circumstances are incredibly likely to happen. Yeah, and and, and that's why when when there are so many ceilings within the league, and and it almost sounds like I mean if, if you really boil it down. You go to a game. Like, what's the point of following this team because they can only do this? And like, well, you know, if yeah. the purpose of football is to grow and achieve and offer excitement, but then so because of that though, it does mean that the kind of the type of football you play and fans enjoying themselves has become all the more important. Which, which yeah. I think is well, again that- why why Liverpool have had such a good season, even though if they don't win the Champions League, they haven't achieved that much yeah. because. Well, even in the afterglow of Leicester winning the title, like you can't remember, obviously the Premier League is full of of, of many things, lots of different sort of people. Um, but lots of them are cynical bastards who are multi-millionaire businessmen who are trying to make a lot of money. And even the top clubs, even top people at the top clubs acknowledge that Leicester winning the title was great for business mm-hmm. because even the top clubs know that that's not going to really happen again. That was a, a once-in-a-lifetime shot. So if you're any of the top six, that bolsters the coffers because people buy into that. People like love the great story and it was big for a season they've all kind of had a little rebuild since then a mini rebuild if not a full-scale rebuild and the fact is that they're still kind of in a great position you know Leicester have have been strengthened by it but would it surprise anyone if Leicester got relegated next season because fundamentally they are part of that the the fatberg as we previously described it which is the bottom I I was having a conversation with um, our good friend Jacob Steinberg from The Guardian about this yesterday evening about like how difficult it is if you're outside the top six to actually play good football. Yeah. Like, because we were talking about West Ham and how West Ham fans want to go and play expansive football. And they kind of did that with Slavon Bilic, but it was going to get them relegated. So they had to get rid of him and get in David Moyes. <laughs> yeah. Like, Stoke tried to play exciting football with, with Mark Hughes and they did it for three years, or they slightly better, but then they lost their identity mm. and now they got relegated. Do, like, do it's very have... difficult, I think, unless you... I think, basically, to play good football in the bottom, in the bottom 14 teams, you need... Like really good players, yeah. a good recruitment strategy, 
a manager who's on the same page, like it's just so and, and you patience, need so many things to go be, right. Be, and, ultimately, it takes like it, it's if you, if you want result. I suppose when it comes down to it, you can get results far quickly by having an organised defence yeah, than yeah. by kind of entrusting the kind of fate and trust for players to learn a kind of maybe more uh, expansive style because I think it, it, that does require more patience to properly enact. Yeah, it, like, it, it requires continuity of players yeah. and manager beyond anything else. But of course, the, like the the the, stra- the very stratification of the, of the Premier League means that if you have a good manager or a good player, <laughs> yeah. he's going to go. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, Watford, like Watford were quite good with Marco Silva for about ten games, and yeah. then Everton tried to steal him, and then, and they were, yeah. then now they're shit. But do you not think the it's kind of like you know we always talk about this with the tournaments, and it's been especially since like Euro twenty sixteen was one of the most obvious examples of it. Is where, like you're saying, it's it's so easy to not so easy. It's easier to coach a team defensively yeah. than it is to like produce cohesive attacking strategy. So, therefore, teams concentrate on that and, and try and win that way. Yeah. Um, the short termism that uh, like ends up with clubs go through three, four managers in a season, like we've seen this year, and. You know, guys who like last year were the Messiah, Frank de Boer, Mauricio Pellegrino, hmm. uh, who are now, you know, not just now out of jobs, but were out of jobs months ago. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got to look at it this way is, is I think a lot of the, the teams, the lower teams, kind of, if you call them that, that have played good football in recent years, it basically comes around like one kind of greatish player who's way better than the team he's playing for. And I think Payet is the obvious one with West Ham. He was doing Zaha, sensational things. Zaha for Palace and Mares for Leicester. I think that's... And Leicester actually probably at the right time had about two or three really great players in the right time. N'Golo Kante is the obvious one. Yeah. Jamie Vardy. Vardy had a career season, an incredible well, although, season. Look, Vardy, I think he's outscored... He's got so many, so many top. top Has this been history? I mean, I should know the numbers on this. Is this his best ever season? I think it was like he's, it. He's outscored Lukaku. He's outscored Firmino. Um, Lacazette. Yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet about it. I think... I mean, and, and so many goals in big games. The man could have saved Wenger's job. Yeah, but I, actually, and this is—I mean, looking forward to the World Cup. If Kane, although there are maybe a few suggestions given his, his last few goals, he's come back to it a bit. But he's—if he's in any way struggling with fitness in the World Cup, to have Vardy there as a, as an alternative is when was actually it's not that long ago. I was going to say when was the last time England had two strikers of that ability. But I guess you're probably looking at. In the mid nineties, yeah. I mean, they, well, they also had Rooney and Owen, late Owen, yeah, 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 two thousand four. Yeah. I think late Owen, yeah, actually, late yeah. Owen, early Rooney was was good, and and previously to that, late Shearer, early Owen. Was there enough overlap? Do you think? Wait, well, the yeah, mid nineties. Should remember the mid nineties, like players who were ripping up the Premier League, like Collymore, no, not and the Cole. Five one. Sorry, that was Hesky and Owen. Mm. That was Sorry, Hesky yeah. Owen. But, but mid nineties Premier League, basically, when you know Collymore and Cole were ripping it up, and yet they couldn't get near the England squad. Really, I think Cole has what one cap. Collymore might have. Yeah, even like, like, even Fowler and Wrighty exactly. didn't play as much for England as they would have done nowadays. Yeah, because the striking depth actually of the England team has been very poor. If you consider players like uh, David Nugent were getting caps not yeah. that long ago. Jay Bothroyd. Yeah, yeah. It's Bobby Zamora. Raul Aria Ricketts. Uh, Ricky Lambert. And and the fact that all of these guys, you know, you might you get someone like Andy Carroll or Peter Crouch getting called into the England squad when they hadn't done anything in a little while because well, they're yeah. different. Crouch, I mean, Crouch was one of the primary strikers in 2006. And that was some that, of that was Crouch down. did, I, I've got to be fair to Crouch, mm. I, I think he attracts defenders and, and does yeah. all these things, which he has obviously an innate built-in mm. weapon and, and, and it's tough to play against. But 
it also completely conditions the team around him in, yeah, in yeah. a way that was damaging. Yeah. In, in, I think English players aren't clever enough to play with someone like Crouch and not just hoof it to him every <laughs> single time. Yeah. It's like they just see him and he, it's kind of the same with Carroll. Yeah. They see him and he's just like this big kind of We've got lighthouse the yeah, yeah. at the other end of the pitch and they can't take their eyes off him. They think, well, <laughs> Crouch is up there. I'm going to have to hit the yeah, diagonal yeah, yeah. to Crouchy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like that. The same like about most half of England games over the last so in tournaments over the last sort of 10 15 mm-hmm. years have gone that way with either Crouch or Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's it's fairly predictable by now. But it's one of the things that um Marcelo Bielsa when he was at Athletic Bilbao and he had Fernando Llorente when Fernando Llorente was like was mobile. Uh, you know and and they used him as the long ball thing as well but then they also had kind of about eight patterned plays where the whole point was to use him as a completely diversionary tool like a decoy yeah and 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 basically he's going out and being a decoy and you had like Muniain was a little mm. guy cutting in off the off the wings and stuff and it was super dangerous and i think any coach who really put a lot of thought in it, it, it like a thought into using someone like carol or crouch could do some very interesting things because you've always got to keep the big guy on him yeah if he drifts wide onto the fullback you can't let hit the fullback take him yeah. because that's how bad things happen. Uh, as would, a di- through, would you start Vardy at the World Cup? No, it's still that's one of the big question. Well, unless Selka can figure out some way to start ball, but I can't see that happening. I'd, I guess you play four I three be, three with Vardy on the left. I'd be willing to depending on the, on the situation. Right. Mm. I think they would consider a, a diamond with, with the two of them up there. As a digression, just a slight digression. If to play that sort of Urente role for Bielsa, you've got to be actually a real team player, especially for a striker. He is so individualistic. That is who he is. Yeah. Um, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I like having different sorts of players and I think that's why, like, Vardy is so different to Kane and I think, you know, then mm. again, if you took Andy Carroll or someone like that, is so different to, I mean, Carroll absolutely doesn't deserve it. Obviously, he's not played enough or, or well enough to, to be in contention, but I like having kind of um, different options to play different ways. Would you take Rashford? I think... Given the paucity of other options, I think you certainly yeah, yeah. have to consider it. Um, kind of, there almost isn't anyone else, really, is there? Well, look, Southgate likes him, and he can play wide. Yeah, and he offers something a bit different. Um, I mean, who would the strikers? You, uh, the, the squads announced on Wednesday. Who are the strikers you'd take? I'd take Kane, Vardy, Rashford. Uh, I, t- I mean, obviously, I take Sterling. I don't know if you count him as a striker or not. Um, I wouldn't take Sturridge. And then who else is there, really? Sturridge is one of those where... Dwight Gale? When the signing happens, everyone Mm. thinks, oh, that's West Brom. That's West Brom safe, whatever. And and (laughs) not only has that not happened, he's done very, very, very little to the point that he's drifting out of the England picture and and who knows what his next step is. Yeah. is it this Wednesday or following Wednesday? No, so so the squad's announced this Wednesday and then Southgate's speaking about it at Wembley on Thursday. Okay. Um... Sterling, oh, Sterling has been one of the best forwards in in England slash Europe this summer. But sorry, this summer this season. Um, Miguel's trying to organise his Thursday morning. Uh, no, I, I, I'm just saying, both, both me and Jack should probably go today. Announcement. Well, yeah. It was at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Pop up there on Thursday. There was morning, a nice bit of uh, office logistics there in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, people really care about. This is that. how we plan things. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> not a joke. Yeah, no, I think. <laughs> um, FA Cup final. Uh, <laughs> This Saturday, um, f- I know we touched on it earlier, but I think there's a kind of strange feel about it, which it reminds me a lot of the 2013 FA Cup final, where Roberto Mancini, having won the title the previous season, mm-hmm. the team was terrible the fo- in 2012-13, and Mancini went into the 
the cup final, everyone knowing that he was going to get replaced by Manuel Pellegrini. Yeah. Obviously, this fed through to the players. The players didn't show up. They lost to Wigan Athletic. Mancini was sat the next day, I think. Um, do we do we expect the same thing to happen to Chelsea this weekend? Not not quite for two reasons. Because I think it's a, a bit of stung pride by Chelsea, and also because of who they're playing. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think it's easier for Conte to whip up these Chelsea players for a match against Josie Mourinho than it would be for say. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, it's Rafa. I guess the big question is do the Chelsea players <laughs> hate Mourinho or Conte more by now? <laughs> Probably still just about Jose. <laughs> like Conte, increasingly, I, I saw his post match interview yesterday, and increasingly. You know, like because he he obviously hasn't got the next job lined up, like clearly lined up. You so know? It's, really, it's really weird a situation. The, but it? had the PSG thing worked out for him, like you know, we, it would have been very clear, and then he would have had to talk him and his agent would have mm. to talk to Chelsea and, and negotiate some sort of settlement and whatever, and whatever. Now, because he hasn't got that job necessarily like right in front of him, he has to get himself sacked basically. Mm. And, and I think everything that's gone before suggests that that probably will happen, but. You know, what was his answer yesterday? Like, I'm under contract. Yeah. You know, that is not a normal response <laughs> if for a guy that's staying. So everyone knows the direction it's heading, but also we can pretty confidently, you'd say, suggest that he's not going to resign. Yeah. It's not going to be him initiating yeah. the exit because that would cost him a shed load of money. So, um, yeah, like, it, the timing of him going will be interesting. Um like the phrasing, the thing you can't even read too much into the phrasing of these things anymore. I think because, I mean, Chelsea are, are very well rehearsed at getting rid of managers. So, so what's he, he's got? What one year left yeah. after this one on yes. eight million a year? Is that right? Yeah, the, I mean, uh, the, the thing is they're going to have to pay off the final year of his contract, which is like yeah. eight nine million pounds, I think, and, and all of his assistants as well. Yeah, so, so there's going to be a lot of negotiating more. to be done. And then if they wanted to bring in someone who is in a job elsewhere. Uh, then obviously there are likely to be costs associated with yeah. that. So it could cost Chelsea, say, 13 to 15 million pounds, realistically, if they were to hire someone. And I'm I'm, I'm not saying they're going to hire this guy, but like Leonardo Jardim or well, like any, like anyone, you know, like, yeah, Sarri mm-hmm. from Napoli. Um, which, and that does feel like that's coming to an end. Do we think Conte's in a kind of weird position? Because he, like, He's obviously one of the best managers in the world. Yeah. Like he's won three Serie's and won he won the Premier League at his first shot. And but, yet, why? Like, why are Real Madrid? Well, this surely is, he should be Real Madrid's first choice ahead of Pochettino. He's yeah. an excellent coach who will find a very good job, in my opinion. But yeah, but that, this is another issue with the kind of economic certification of the game 
beyond England that they're only if you're at that level of manager there are only certain clubs you can go to yeah, they're like not going to seven teams in the world you could manage yeah they? yeah it's quite weird and whereas it, like again to go back to the mid 90s as well it did feel like the football world was bigger in that sense now yeah, yeah, yeah. managers of, of uh, Conte standing could more easily go to well okay I'll go to Valencia Parma. for the moment yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, or Parma but yeah th- things not working out at Chelsea is not a black mark on your CV anymore no like, yeah, lots yeah. of managers have gone to success post Stamford Bridge so and also like the like if you divide Conte's reign into two halves, the good half and the bad half, mm. like the good half outweighs the bad yeah. half. Like no, does, winning sure. the Premier at your first at your first go is a much is much better than like you know dropping off. Ha- ha- having overtaken a, bad. a basket case of a club, yeah, mm. no, he, he's done. A, I think he's done a good job. I think he's an engaging person. He's very very interesting. Mm. He's given us some incredible moments. Uh, Semenza de Nile, uh, <laughs> yeah. was that right? Oh. Dementia Sanita, uh, he, he is a little man in all situations. <laughs> like, you know, he's been really good. We've had some great scraps. Um, uh, and his best moment of all was branding, was using the phrase the Mourinho season <laughs> yeah. to yeah, denote yeah. a season of catastrophic failure. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the most successful like, managers. Yeah, Mourinho's won, what, like seven or eight, <laughs> eight league, league titles? He's won eight league titles two in his Champions career, League. two Champions Leagues. He is, by any measure, one of the greatest managers of all time. Yeah. And yet, Conte's now introduced <laughs> this phrase into the vocabulary, the Mourinho season, and everyone knows what he means. Like, he, um, he said at the start of the season, he said, well, obviously, what we want to do this year is avoid a Mourinho season. Yeah. And actually, at his press conference at Cobham on Friday, I said to him, um, Antonio, at the start of the season, you said you want to avoid a Mourinho season. Do you feel like you've done that? And he's kind of like, he's completely battened down the hatches in press conferences now, mm. so he didn't really say anything. But it is a... Uh, it's a you know, like the Invincibles or the Centurions, it is a remarkable achievement of branding and now everybody knows what he <laughs> he's, he's actually, one, one thing I noticed about covering Conte a lot, for a man who obviously doesn't have English as his first language, he's yet he's still very capable of quite poetic phrases. Like his turn of phrase is really yeah. good. We want to be a little war machine. Yeah. A beautifully nuanced bullet to the head for a man whose <laughs> English is not that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is usually what you associate with Mourinho, actually. That's yeah, one of Mourinho's yeah. main skills. Uh, <laughs> it's got me, got me thinking, I mean, Obviously, we'll see, we'll see his farewell. I'm thinking, like, if you're sat at home, uh, 2023, uh, July, it's hot outside, the test match uh, has finished early, unfortunately, uh, England lost, and uh, Premier League years is on Sky Sports, mm. and you're watching Premier League years, and it's this season, and obviously City getting 200 points is the big thing. I think that yeah. will be the big thing, and, and Arsene Wenger leaving is going to be probably the last five minutes of the show, Yeah, yeah. Um, because that is a significant storyline for the Premier League's history at this point. And then beyond that, you know, they're not really going to go into the, this whole relegation mush thing because... Yeah. So Salah's goals would be big. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because I, I think we don't necessarily know that this this will be a long-term trend. It, I've, I've got a feeling it might be because of the financial realities of this. Yeah. But, but next year it could be like, whoa, like the bottom, the bottom seven have just completely fallen off and the yeah. top 13 are fine. So we don't know that. I think Salah and Kane... I think uh, will be kind of remembered yeah. very fondly for this because Kane, you know, Harry Kane's brilliant little shot back is kind of the, he's obviously seen a lot of praise for Salah and mm. Salah's won all the awards, um, not necessarily ahead of him or ahead of Kevin De Bruyne, I think. But um, he said, like for me, it's all about doing it year to year and, yeah, and consistency and stuff, which is a good line yeah. because Aust- he has been brilliant. Yeah. Like, also, for, for all this, frankly, I think over the top criticism that Kane has got because of this goal thing and all. Um, ultimately, this supposedly mentally weak Harry Kane fires Tottenham into the Champions League. Yeah, yeah to <laughs> third place. It's funny, isn't it, how like these narrative—like I hate that word—but like the narrative 
kind of analyses yeah. or arcs like swing back and forward so quickly. Like after the back off the back of the semi final, everyone it was yeah. like Tottenham is shit. No, uh, no, Tottenham is shit. Kane is shit. Yeah. Forget about I mean, it. Lot, I have to say, a lot of that Kane's have kind of irritated me. Like I've never heard such bollocks. To be honest, yeah. like, think of it, if you if you're a, you talk to any striker. Remember, I did something with Ian Wright recently, and he was just like, he, the way he put it, when you're in a kind of a a race for golden shoe like that. And you're already a striker, so you're indivi- by nature of your position, you're yeah. individualistic. But you're so hungry for goals. That's just what it comes down to. And like you talk about, when, when you'd come in after every match in the mid 90s era, who scored today? Oh, Shearer, three. Oh, for Christ's sake. And what? <laughs> Kane's now, what, the first Englishman since Shearer to score 30 Prem goals in a season? Yeah, yeah. In what, 1996? Yeah. Nin- so. Is that a great season? Yeah. What you just said there, the thing about the narrative, um, I know we're doing the Premier League review, FA Cup preview. But actually, just want to mention last night um, the Barcelona Levante game. Oh yeah, because that showed, and it, it, so that in case you didn't see it, um, Barcelona going through an unbeaten season. This was their thirty seventh game, was it? Thirty seventh yeah. league game of the season. What so to blow it that they're, one. <laughs> they're just their penultimate game of the season, and they're about to complete that difficult thing, which is an unbeaten run in Ernesto Valverde's first season in charge. They're at, without Lionel Messi last night, and they're five one down against Levante whole season kind of going up in smoke really fight back to 5-4 and there's about 15 minutes hmm. remaining and it, uh, I said it last night fif- this next 15 minutes shows the incredible power of narrative in terms of the line defining failure yeah, and yeah. success is so thin because if they get back and it looked like they would because they were all over Levante if they get back in and equalise 5-5 and that's the kind of the last big scare on the way to an unbeaten season it's like they showed their strength and they showed their courage and they showed how uh, how brave they were to fight back and, and get the result they needed and then because they just don't get that final goal and I mean some of the Levante goals were, were a bit ropey offside and whatever the other side of it is now this season for Valverde and Barcelona is going to be viewed completely differently yeah, yeah. and it's like what we're saying with Pep if they fall, if they had 99 points yeah, the whole thing I suppose different. with Levante I mean Barca shouldn't have got themselves into this situation but there's obviously done now there's this bigger concern with this, this friendly in South Africa Oh, like, yeah. so what's that? I, I mean, so Messi didn't play last night because he's contractually obliged to play in some exhibition match in South Africa this week. So they're going to yeah, they're going to South a month before the World Cup at the end of so it's, it's, it's this Argentina national team. No, this is Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack's shaking his head. Wow. By the way, um, that's uh, amazing. The I actually, I actually, did, I hadn't, I hadn't even heard that since last night when I saw it. Going, what the hell? The funny thing about the Barcelona thing is that they're. Now they're not got the invincible. They haven't got the invincibles achievement. There's obviously they screwed up in the Champions mm. League. This season will probably be viewed as like a very qualified success. It's, it's, it's like a it's like a Manchester United title win, say in ninety six, ninety seven. One, one of those more forgettable ones, and when Ferguson was racking them up. Yeah, um, but that makes you. I mean, which that kind bizarre. of underlines what we were talking about earlier, which is that under like under football under football financial stratification mm. like the parameters of what you can achieve are so predefined mm-hmm. that even an achievement even coming so close to an achievement yeah. so historic as this one just leaves you a bit kind of underwhelmed as yeah, a Barcelona yeah. fan but that yeah. but that's just like a function of of the financial imbalance yeah so it's, it's why nobody can be happy under capitalism <laughs> yeah <it can> be. <laughs> right. yes true true you always want more <laughs> Welcome back to the Indie Politics Podcast. Yeah. Um, I, but, I, I think I think it's all I think it's all very interesting because obviously the, the entire news cycle and, and everything that, that we do, uh, twenty four hours, uh, social media, internet. The fact that everyone's so much more wired into news and, and coverage of stuff that they've ever been. Like 
if you like football, you might complain about the coverage of football now. The fact is, you've never had so much football coverage, like mm. you know, in, all football all the time. Yeah, like, and, and that's not necessarily a good thing, but it does mean that there is like a, a wealth of it out there and, and loads of the stuff. And that's why and all the best stuff is on independent.co.uk. Yeah, well, true, I think, yeah, I think yeah. everyone knows that already. Um, uh, or alternatively, on Acast, iTunes, uh, and your favorite podcast provider. Yeah. But I think it's important to like just fundamentally at the end of it, you, you look at Barcelona's season, you say. They blew the bloody unbeaten thing. They should have done better in the Champions yeah. League, and they didn't. But, but the mess they came into at the start of yeah. the season, as we wrote at the start of the season, my God, like Real Madrid were yeah. like overwhelming favourites to win yeah, uh, yeah. the league at the start of this season. They were looking frightening, to be honest. Barca had brought in a manager who had never managed a top, top, top club, um, to use a redknapism, but a guy that they trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he came in, and he... Know, played an unfamiliar formation and brought in some frankly weird signings but it worked yeah. and he's done a good job and we'll be able to judge Valverde on the next two or three seasons however long he lasts but I think it's really interesting the kind of the final 15 minutes last night I did want them to get the equaliser but you know it shows the difference between how everything's going to yeah. be um, well, remembered what weirdly stands against Valverde now is I mean ultimately he initially rightly Gain praise for kind of making Barca, you know, we made all these problems. He made Barca a solid team, very hard to be quite constrained with then the brilliance of Messi released. And yet, despite that kind of characterizing their season, the two big achievements that should have happened this season a Champions League, at least getting to a final or whatever, and an unbeaten season have not happened because of these bizarre defensive collapses. It's, it's not even like they just got beaten in those games, they just had these kind of <laughs> crashes. Yeah. Don't do, you think get, do you think they'll get Griezmann in the summer? Yeah, I think that's done. And, and then, which actually could uh, and anyone oh, else like how are they fit Griezmann, Messi, oh, Coutinho? I wouldn't be surprised if Dembele moves on. Actually, really, where to? If, they, if there's some sort, I mean, there's a lot of noise about Dembele. Perhaps not. It's not worked out. PSG yeah. to replace Neymar. Well, also potentially Dembele for Verratti. So right, there, right. there are a couple of things here. Um, Dembele hasn't necessarily performed that well. He was a rushed purchase yeah. last year. I think that's no secret. Um, they need they they like PR reasons or whatever. They had to get someone to replace yeah. Neymar last summer and, and when it became clear that Coutinho wasn't going to move there was a, a bit of panic let's be honest mm. um, Griezmann coming in Griezmann is uh, right now for, for sure a far superior player to, to Dembele he's a remarkably good signing he's a very 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 good player um, he can do anything I think in that Barcelona team with players like Messi it's going to be very very hard to stop them but Dembele is a player that if I was Barcelona I would hold on to because the projection for incredible talent is there but if you if you give up on him now if you sell him now like what messages is that sending yeah, you're, you're buying a player for that much money for one season and then kind of like Griezmann's not that young no 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 I mean Dembele no no, no but that's, that's I mean to replace him with Griezmann I mean, Griezmann, Griezmann's going into his absolute prime and at the value they're getting the release clause well, yeah. 100 million euros is still a bargain because he's, yeah. a, he's a player whose market value is, is worth more than that. Griezmann, over the last couple of seasons, has been, for me, top five player in the world. Like, mm. probably third or fourth. Um, the the 2015-16 season, I'd say he was on the podium for Ballon d'Or alongside you know, Ronaldo and Messi because he was that good for Atletico. Yeah. And you remember, he plays in a fundamentally a defensive team and has to do a lot himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he links up play. He can carry the ball 40 yards up the field. He's a 
deadly finisher. He's a brilliant set piece taker. Do you think he'd come in straight for Luis Suarez in that system? Because Suarez easy, seems yeah. to... I mean, I don't watch that much Barcelona, but Suarez seems to me to be... A, there was a lot not, of not, not that good anymore. Yeah. Sluggish. Because he's so, like... De- obviously, he's technically really good and very imaginative, mm-hmm. but he's so dependent on that that burst and physicality yeah, yeah. to get past players and to hold off defenders and turn. Yeah. And if his body doesn't move as quickly anymore, he's not really the but same he, player. When he was at his best for Liverpool, when he was kind of absolutely devastating, because like, he, he kind of... He, Trap the ball so well, kind of put the head down, burrow, and have that kind, kind of wriggle, yeah, wriggle through, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think his body can do that in the yeah. same way anymore. And, and where do you think he'll go? I think yeah. he'll stay around. He'll stay, I don't <laughs> think there's much chance of him going this summer, yeah. Who, who do you want him at this point? He's, he's also like got he, he's got the most important person in the whole club on his side, yeah. yeah. He's best, like, best friends with Messi, so it's very difficult, I think, for him to leave if he's not happy about it. Like if he doesn't want to go, yeah, and I don't think they're going to be willing to pull the plug on him yet because uh, in a lot of games he does still come up with the goals. My, my friend, my West Ham, w- West Ham breaking the bank for him in about three seasons' time <laughs> <laughs> when, he, uh, yeah. when he's when he's completely finished. They'll yeah. f- they'll, yeah, well, more like million on him. Uh, also, like someone like West Ham breaking a summer for like Paco Alcacer this summer mm, yeah. when Griezmann comes in, you know, and they'll flog a couple of these. I think on, like Andre Gomez, you know that Tottenham. It, 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 that does feel like while he has mm. turned it around a bit at Barcelona and there have been some great things written about his struggles and uh, he's talked very openly about it, I think. Uh, he really mentally struggled with moving to Barcelona. Uh, huge club, expectations and all that sort of and, and he couldn't cope with uh, the crushing pressure of that. But I think um, you know a couple of those players might get shipped out. I think they're going to fix that defence a little bit and Titi will probably get a new contract because I think no one's going to bite on his current um, yeah. tactics. I, on that issue, actually, the pressure, it is an interesting thing. I still have to say, if we're always talking the Premier League in that, and I, as obviously massive as clubs like um, Manchester United are, I was talking to a, a journalist who recently moved over from Spain to, to England, and they were kind of like, I mean, even when you stand in Old Trafford or the Emirates, the scale of it still doesn't feel as massive as Real Barca, who just who even even then feel on a different level in that regard, and that's why I think Pep will stay a fourth season at City. Is that he was so obviously burnt out mm. at Barcelona by that fourth year, but then managing Barcelona is so different from yeah. from managing City. Like there's no at City, there's no politics, there's no like ex players in the media, there's no like getting swarmed by fans. Like he's not a god in Manchester. Yeah. He can, he can kind of dr- make a short drive from what I think he lives in as, city suites in yeah. Salford to the CFA. Short drive home as, as one of the it's as one a simple of the, life. As one of the city Catalan officials put it, basically Barcelona is an oven and it's an oven like you've never experienced before. Yeah, and, and that's why I think he's going to retain that mental freshness to to do next year and then probably one more year yeah. in city. Uh, and I mean. At the end of the day, they've been very young squad city as well. They've now. been the entire story of the of this Premier League season. And as when we do look, when you are sitting on your sofa in twenty twenty three and you're watching that Premier League years, they are the headliners. Um, despite Arsene Wenger's departure, they are the headliners. So um, it's probably a good place to end it. Actually, just before we do, look, looking forward a little bit, uh-huh. do we think anyone is? Well, how close can anyone get to them in the summer? Do we expect anyone to kind of push them? What sorry next season. for next season? Well, yeah. Manchester United are going to go and do what they've criticised Manchester City for doing, mm. uh, which is spend a lot of money on fullbacks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. It's it's all right, spend loads of money on fullbacks. It's like, well, it's a good idea. Why don't you try it? <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> so you know, expect United to go out and spend a lot. I mean, my, you know, the thing about Man United is that they can afford to spend mm. 
nearly 100 million more than any other club every summer. Yeah. That's how much money they make. So just not to, the thing I think about United, the, the big difference between United and City is that there's such, and I, I, I suppose this, this is central to debate over, you know, the teams they inherited and where they should be after two years. But oh, there's much more of a unifying idea at City. that bring, yeah. So it's, it's more obvious where players come in and fit together, more obvious where and, and it's all kind of building towards one thing. Where at United, it still feels so kind of cobbled they together both, a bit. They've both got loads of elite players. Mm. It comes at some point down to what you can do with them. Yeah. And how can you can maximise them individually and what they can do as a collective. Mm. And we've talked about it all season. And it fundamentally, Pep Guardiola is getting these players to produce and create much more yeah. than Jose Mourinho can do with a similarly talented bunch of players. You know, fundamentally, yeah. he's got Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial. He's got all these players who are incredible talents, elite yeah. footballing talents. And, and Pep Guardiola has players who, under another manager, would never have the sort of success they're enjoying now. I think Liverpool will come second next season. Yeah. Injuries permitted. I, I think that, I mean, it was Kate in midfield. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yeah, They'll yeah. need depth still. Yeah, They'll they need, need depth. De- yeah, they but the first 11 will actually be, I think, sensational next year. Yeah. I, I also think that Klopp has... Klopp has never had a good season in both the league and in Europe at the same time. Mm. Like he, the two times he's reached the Champions League final, one with Dortmund, one with Liverpool, the team did nothing in the league. Yeah. The two times he won Bundesliga with Dortmund, the team did nothing in Europe. Yeah. Like I think that's a function of one. To be fair, he's never managed a super super club, but also because of the, how physically tiring his methods are. Yeah. And I don't think that he can. I don't think he can do it on two f- fronts at once. But that said, if they were to bomb out of Europe early next mm. season. And if the first 11 stays fit, then I think they probably can. I mean, there's no reason they, they can't. They, win the they, title. I mean, despite the slight uh, drop off in the last few weeks, which I think is related to qualifying for the Champions League final as much as anything, Liverpool had showed much more consistency than they would have associated with them this season. Yeah. They, like they, they were especially, especially in that kind of when it came to really nailing the top four place between, say, kind of February and April, they were really consistent. And like, so, oh yeah, I guess the, if we're. Going for City, then Liverpool for next 2018 19 Premier League title. <laughs> the big question is, are we going to get another Mourinho season? <laughs> well, actually, I oh, wouldn't want to go that far. But the Rui Faria's departure is quite interesting, I think, in so much as just so much the Mourinho season, like with Real Madrid to a degree, especially the third season of Real Madrid, came down to the players got really kind of just. What went against what became a newly grumpy Mourinho that we hadn't seen pre-2010 or pre-2011 even maybe. Uh, and so at United so far, Rui Faria has apparently had an important role in that the players all really like him and he's kind of the good cop to Mourinho's grouchy cop. Um, so it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works, what happens there. Uh, although Carrick, could, I mean, they, all the players absolutely love Carrick and there are many people at United that are yeah, that, that's certainly been proposed to people yeah. within United. So I'd be interested to see if they do that because um, the problem with me for the like I, I think the good cop bad cop thing is is a very common sort of thing with yeah. a manager and assistant manager. It's why sometimes assistant managers struggle when they step I mean, up. It's a, it's however, a, it's a cliche, but it's a, it's yeah. a cliche because it's a basic no, obvious no, no, psychology. It's a basic truth. I agree. Yeah. That. However, um, I think the key thing is that despite the players all liking him, is that him and Mourinho have like a complete solid. Yeah. long-standing relationship and trust if things were going badly uh you know and, and Mourinho's assistant is not a Mourinho guy it's, yeah, it's yeah. a club guy who's close with so and so and close with so and so and knows lots of people um 
and and things and like you know the other thing is <laughs> managers are incredibly paranoid about like leaks and stuff yeah, and yeah, yeah suddenly yeah. you know you could see how that could develop certainly down one path i'm not saying it would um but i'm saying that that is a thing that can happen um and yeah, I mean, Manchester United, I don't think Manchester United are going to fall apart. I think they'll be top three yeah, team yeah. next season. But uh, they don't look like a team that can overhaul Pep Guardiola yeah. for me. So those are our predictions for the season. Please, <laughs> please hold them to us. Yeah, and also yeah, please uh, hold us to them. Sorry, in um, uh, aggressive, unpleasant tweets over the course of yeah. next season. Considering we're probably going to do weeks of preview activity, uh, late July, early August. Um, those will almost certainly all, all be shredded by that yeah. point as well. But we will. Um, thanks for listening. Um, please leave us a nice review on iTunes. And we will be back yeah, next Monday. I guess, we'll, I guess we'll discuss England squad to talk England FA squad Cup. FA Cup final review and Champions League preview. And uh, yeah, Champions League final preview. For, this will be our last. Next week will be our last podcast Let's before Miguel, Johnny, and others um, fly to Kiev. Yeah. Thanks very much. Have a good evening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 